This episode of Positive Space is brought to you by Chartpack, parent company of 14 art supply brands including Grumbacher, Molotow Markers, Higgins, and Cullinore Drawing Supplies. Pens, pencils, paints, and paper, Chartpack has it. Check out Chartpack and their brands at chartpack.net. Welcome to Positive Space, Conversations and Art Foundations, a production of Foundations in Art, Theory, and Education, also known as FATE. Positive Space is a podcast providing opportunities for those passionate about art foundations to discuss and promote excellence in the development and teaching of college-level foundations in art studio and art history classes. Hey there, welcome to Positive Space. I'm Valerie Powell, and joining us today via Skype is Meredith Starr, who is the Assistant Professor of Visual Arts at SUNY Suffolk County Community College. <laughs> That's a mouthful. <laughs> well, welcome, Meredith. I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Absolutely. Well, so... um. Maybe you could start by just giving us kind of a general introduction to sort of who you are as an artist and an educator. All right. Um, well, I teach foundation courses, 2D, drawing one, drawing two, modern art history, and then a new passion project. I've been co-teaching, developing creativity and the imagination. My students always ask me what makes me qualified to teach these courses. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I tell them beyond my MFA, it's because I'm a practicing artist and that I work in large scale site specific installations. Usually the installation of the project or the theme dictates the media, um, but there's always an accumulation of marks, whether it's in drawing or painting And they address themes such as desire, memory, and most recently, the joy in routine. So my students saw this recent work was a giant installation in gaffer's tape. But I explained to them that even though I was working in a tape media, I was still drawing with the tape. So I was like making those connections for the students. You can draw in other media, too. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely absolutely that's that's a really exciting the whole idea of thinking about routine and, and kind of keeping track of things do you find that you make a lot of lists and sort of gather data about yourself in that way yeah I love data <laughs> I just like I, I get a little nerdy about it and I just got a book even because one of the themes I explore is desire and love. I just got this book, The Mathematics of Love. I try and follow Instagram artists who are also exploring data. There was the Dear Data Project and Mona Chalabi is amazing. Um, she sort of <laughs> graphs, but yeah, it's not so much that I organize in preparation for my own projects in lists per se. It's more like Maybe I'm doing it and I don't even realize. Like in my daily practice, if I hear something daily, I'll write it down. So I'm more of a, oh, I want to say like a documentarian. Like, you know, I'm sort of, you know, recording this all, whether it's in my sketchbook or, you know, as a drawing in the sketchbook and then sort of accumulating that together in a, in a different media in sort of this vibrant way 
that showcases how much I love that routine. If that makes sure. Sense. No, it absolutely does. No. And I mean, I think that the whole habit of like being observant is so important. Um, and, and any way that you can continue to keep yourself present or aware of things is, is just crucial. Yeah. I, it's funny because, you know, when you teach drawing, the whole theme to a drawing class is observation. And I feel like you spend, you know, all of this time trying to get your students to see things for the way they really are in front of them, right? Like these mm-hmm. 3D objects and how are they going to render this 3D object on a, on a 2D surface? But there are so many other things in our lives that, that we can be observant about also. And, and I think in some way my work addresses that too. Oh, that's, that's really exciting. And, and, and I think so valuable for the students to understand that because I think if all they're doing when they're going through their life is just kind of zoning out and, and then when, when they're in front of a still life or whatever, then it's like, okay, now I have to be observant. It can be really challenging to get into that mindset. Yeah, it's sort of telling them to stay switched on all of the time. I, you know, but I have to say this semester, and I don't know if it's a general switch in, oh, like the demographic or possibly the, the age, like we're millennial, but this semester I've had the students challenged me in a way like never before because I teach um, the foundation courses for the graphic design and the computer art programs. In general, in the past, I found that there is this sort of, okay, well, these are the required courses I need to take to make my, you know, fine art skills better so that when I get back to, you know, wanting to animate my figures, I'm better at figure drawing. So they're not reluctant to be in the classes. It's just they see them as preparation for the skills they're, they're going to need later. But the students I'm working with this semester are are they very switched on? They're they're desperate to sort of you know they want to know everything. Um, enjoy I, and I enjoy every you know class that I teach. But these students are they want to know more about observation. They want to be challenged by extra work. They want extra resources, and you know they're they're very passionate about learning traditionally. Where you know I think it's just a different experience from working with students who want to learn in preparation. These, these students are very present. So it's really changed the way I've taught this semester. Wow. That, that must be really exciting to have such curiosity rampantly happening in, in, in the classroom. Uh, it is, (laughs) it's, it's so, so inspiring and you wake up and you can't wait to get there and, you know, share with them what you have planned, but there is also It comes with this great learning experience about how important it is to be flexible when you're teaching, because sometimes even when I get there, the questions they have for me that day, the way that they've sort of intuited the project at home, you know, you you have to be, you, like, I have to even be incredibly switched on to match their level of engagement. So yeah, I I like the challenge too. Absolutely. Well, I mean, and how do you, I guess, stay switched on in your own life? Is, is there something that, that, that you do or sort of a mindset that you have to get into to be sort of aware and like observant? I think one of the things that really prepared me for this semester was the regional event that I put on in September. It was a fall semester boot camp. I was very excited because it was the first one that I was coordinating. And it was meant to be this experience where everyone was sort of coming to the table with what they wanted to get out of the semester and how we could help each other you know, um, make that happen. And one of the things I really wanted, 
myself to have happen in the classroom was to incorporate a certain amount of play. I felt like in the past, possibly that I'd been become aware that maybe more of teaching to the project to, you know, get yourself through the semester. Oh, we're going to have six projects. We're going to have seven projects that we're going to get through and they're going to gain these skills. But I felt like I wasn't that there were other skills they could be you know, learning, whether it was being more present, being more observant. But I wanted to start to instill in them this idea of deliberate experimentation and play and freedom from the project to open their creativity. So we started off the 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 boot camp with a game <laughs> and, um, you know, we did a little bracket tournament of sorts, what the professors wanted to get out of the semester versus what the students uh, wanted to get out of the semester. And at the end of this tournament, we decided that professors really wanted to have um, student engagement for the entire length of the semester. And that at the end of the day, maybe students cared most about grades. So we, ha- we wound up having this really in-depth conversation about how like how we could reward being engaged as students and how we could reward them for their efforts. And so another professor was bringing to the table, like she was very focused on, she had completed a residency and she felt really ready for the semester. And she was very interested in the outcome being how could she stay switched on and present and joyful the whole semester. And so we, we sort of brainstormed these ideas that when you're not just teaching to the project anymore, when you're excited to get in there because you are playing games and you're, you know, breaking out materials and you're seeing the students just explore and you are actually seeing the students make these moments happen, like of connection in the classroom, like that really helps you as a professor stay switched on rather than just, you know, coming in, lecturing, saying, here's the project and we're going to work on this. And you sort of, you know, round robin around the room where like the mm-hmm. classroom becomes this place of active learning. Um, oh, that's, that's so exciting. It's been really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so this was a fate regional that you put on in New York. Yeah. And that was back in September. Yeah. We held it at the Amos Eno Gallery in Bushwick. Uh, which is in the 56 Bogart building. So after we had these conversations, we got to also go around and you know look at some contemporary art exhibits and go out for tacos. And um, it just, it, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> and everyone <laughs> said um, at the end of the event, because it was so positive and these connections were made, you know, that we definitely needed to host another, whether it be in the winter or in the spring to sort of recap and say, hey, you know, these were the things that we had said we were going to bring into the classroom. Were we able to do it? You know, what do we want to do going forward? So it was, it was awesome. Oh, super. And so what inspired you or what got you interested in, in wanting to host a, reach, a fate regional event, which anyone can do, by the way, the applications on the website, what got you wanting to do that? So uh, we had the fate conference uh, this last April in Kansas City. And, and when you're there, it's the most inspiring. Uh, I just like, I'm beaming as I'm talking about this, but you know, you go from panel to panel and you take these notes and you're processing it and you come back at the, at the end of April and it's May. Right. And so now here are all these ideas that you want to, you know, implement into the classroom and you're so ready to do it, but you have just a few weeks. So maybe, you know, everything that you've gathered and it's sort of, you know, seeped into you, you know, comes out into your classroom in small ways in the time that you have left. 
maybe mostly through enthusiasm or you're sharing with them ideas or new resources that they can look at. But I felt like I wanted to um, make something happen, you know, locally in the fall that would sort of recreate the enthusiasm that we left with in April and sort of, you know, bring it all back to a head again. You know, obviously, you know, you can't put on a whole other conference um, for all FATE members. So if you could just do something <laughs> in your local community, you know, and just and just get focused again and sort of recapture everything you had brainstormed in April. And maybe once you had your teaching assignments and knew what classes you were going to be working with, um, you might even be better able to focus that, you know, everything you had left with in April at the FATE conference itself, you know, to the September and fall semester. So Sure. And, and so once you, I guess, did the application or filled out the form and turned it in to JB, Jessica Burke, who's the VP of regional programming for, for FATE, then how did you just start emailing people or did you know folks that were interested like at your university or at your college rather? I went about promoting the event in a bunch of ways. I, of course, I sent it out to all the full-time and adjunct faculty. Um, we have three campuses, so um, we shared it with all three campuses. Um, we posted it to the FATE website, which definitely garnered some interest. And then because we worked with the gallery. The gallery also sent it out to their mailing list as well. And the galleries had this fun idea, which I think worked out great, was that she planned the event earlier in the day. It was from four to six on the same day that there would be an opening reception. So there was this nice energy um, because even though we were a small group, there were people coming in to look at the exhibit but then curious about the conversation. So it, it just sort of had this natural organic flow to the whole thing. It was really, it was really a lot of fun. Oh, that's wonderful. So it sounds like it's something that you might want to do again with those yeah. folks. Definitely going to do it again. Yes. How exciting. Wonderful. Yeah. That's really, really great. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I'm excited. Were, were there folks that maybe you didn't know that you got to meet or were, was it mostly people that you already sort of had a connection with? Uh, there were some people that I didn't know. Um, others, you know, I I think there's an instant bond when you just say I'm a FATE member or, I, you know, I learned about this because my colleague is a FATE member. And you just sort of know intuitively that you're going to be on the same wavelength, which is, uh, you know, really being passionate about the arts and higher ed. So um, there was this level playing field, whether you knew each other or not, when you came into the room. Oh, nice. That's, that's, that's really, really exciting. And so were there ideas then that, that you got and, you know, from that event that you were able to implement, you know, in the fall, since I guess you had this in September, sort of early on in the semester. Yeah. Um, so definitely the takeaway of, you know, strategies to stay switched on. There was a lot of project sharing, even just like for me, one of the big takeaways was the format of teaching drawing one, you know, just hearing how other professors do that. I, I love teaching drawing so much because I, I mean, it's a foundation course, but I think it's the foundation even for teaching sculpture or 3D design. And so I love hearing how other professors, you know, like manage the time, whether it's a two hour, twice a week class or a four hours once a week. You know, what are you expecting the students to do in the classroom and at home? And it's just really nice to be able to, you know, brainstorm and and. And think about how you might change things up for the better or just for the difference. One of the interesting things we talked about was how some professors teach in such a way that the students are making like five quality projects. And they're working really diligently on these projects 
versus the professors who have the students make like a hundred drawings. And because I teach two sections of drawing, I thought it might be interesting to sort of play with that idea of having one section make more drawings and one section having having them make less work, but putting more time into that work and sort oh. of like playing with this idea. And I guess maybe this brings it back to gathering data, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, going back to um, this whole idea of, is it the amount of time put into one thing or is it the amount of time cumulatively, right? That even though they're making many, many, many projects, you know, but in a, you know, maybe they're spending an hour or two hour on these drawings. What, what will the outcome be? You know, will the success be the same? Will one of the sections, you know, feel like they gained better drawing skills? So I think that was a really interesting thing to discuss too. So I'm super curious, like what, what happened? Like what, what was the result in terms of the two sections of drawing? So we have about three weeks left. Yay. It, we, yeah, our, our semesters run long because we're a state school, so we're 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 gonna work to the bitter end here. <laughs> <laughs> right now, I'm seeing two things happen. The students who are making more drawings frequently, I feel like they are quicker to tell me when they're bored on a project. Where the students who have to, you know, like, oh, I'm not really connecting with this because they know it's going to be over quickly. Where the students who are working longer on a project, like let's say it's one point perspective, they say less about that because they know that ultimately they're going to push past that initial, well, not that into mechanical drawing, where I find that they get more into a state of flow. And because they're working like longer and more diligently, and, and maybe that's true, like they're finding with any project, but there might be a period of like a letdown where you're less invested or it's not your style, but that the longer you stay with it, like the more connected to it you inevitably become and the more passionate you become. So I think it's interesting to see like the, the level of engagement per project. In terms of drawing skills, it's, it's tough to say. I, I want to say that because the students that are making more projects, they are really working daily. Like where the other students that are working longer might say, today I have six hours, so I'm going to work six hours on this project, but then take two days off. Uh, it's tough to say <laughs> who will have the better drawing skills in the end. But I do think that they're, they're almost learning different skill sets. Right. I love the idea that in the one class they're learning, wow, daily practice is so valuable. It's helping me stay connected to the material. And like they they don't want to take the day off because they see how connected they feel when they're drawing daily. And then in the other section, I feel like they've learned the value of flow and how you can get into a creative flow and rhythm. So I, I think they're both really amazing skill sets to acquire. <laughs> well, and it seems like such such a smart experiment. Kind of think of things that way because both are so valuable. It, it's not it's not like one has a priority over the other because they're they're both incredibly wonderful habits to have and and to really understand. But that's so exciting that that that's happening in drawing one class. I love it because, like you know when we're talking about foundations and, you know, we're talking about like being flexible as an educator, it, I didn't just walk into the, into the classroom and say, this is the class that I'm going to do this with. And this is the class I'm going to do that with. I, you know, it's like the first three or four weeks of getting to really know them and seeing, you know, which approach would be best for each class. So I think in that way, I, I think that at the end of the semester, both of their, their, both sections will have 
strong draw like they'll all sort of leave on par with the drawing skills because they were working with the approach that worked best for them um and even just in terms of projects like adapting the projects you know based on the students which i was working with i think was really important too well so are they aware of the experiment that's happening i mean are you sort of telling them okay you guys are doing it this way and the other sections doing it that way Yes, they're definitely aware of it, um, whether or not they remember it. <laughs> I do remind them and say, you know, um, for example, if I show them, you know, I, I like to share student examples, especially as work in progress. So I might say, oh, you know, you want to check out something that my other section was doing, but remind them that not to reach out to them necessarily for like due dates or project parameters, because those might be different. Right. Absolutely. Oh man, that is such, I, I, you're going to have to call me when the semester <laughs> ends for you. So you can tell me how it all went down. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's just been, it's just been a really wonderful semester and I think staying open to, you know, what your students are going to bring to you is really important. The one section that is, is working, I said like on the daily practice, um, as opposed to the flow, we just did, Going back to the idea of being able to draw in other media, this class had a higher percentage of students that were enrolled in computer art versus graphic design. So they're very interested in like animation and stop motion techniques, and they want to be video game designers. And they're very curious about drawing in, in other media as well. So we had done this series of drawings, uh, you know, I think as you do in any drawing one class, Contour drawings at the beginning of the semester, contour line drawings, and erase delights, you know, until you can sort of get the positive and negative shapes and the, you know, the observation of that object just right. But in the beginning of the semester, you always meet that with reluctance because, especially for students interested in computer art, because they want everything... the idea of abstraction to them is harder to wrap their head around. But as we got to the end of the semester, they were very appreciative for this idea of additive drawing and what that meant versus subtractive drawing. And so we decided to take take our drawings and create them as 3D renderings, like making that connection for them that when you are doing additive drawing, right, that there's this idea that when you're doing 3D printing, that is also additive drawing that the MakerBot printer is working in additive layers. You know, and so at first, like, I'm telling this abstractly in the classroom, you know, you guys are going to watch the MakerBot redraw your drawing. You know, they're saying, no, they're printing. You know, they're, they're just going to be printed. And they wanted to <laughs> print. <laughs> like, they're very passionate about technology, right? Like, you know, that these are machines and they love these machines that can do these things for us. But what we got into the makerspace it was so it was so wonderful, you know, to watch them. I we had given them the drawing files, and then um, you know we went up to the printer, and I, I just loved watching the experience through their eyes, where like you could see them, you know, like understand this that there is the MakerBot printer, but it's not just outputting, you know, this plastic print that it is actually redrawing their drawing, um, and we wound up having this incredible conversation about how they can take ownership back of their 3D print, right? Because now somebody else, and although it's a machine, right? Like that's artificial intelligence. Oh, somebody 
else has made their drawing again for them. Now, how can they take that drawing back and reclaim it? Whether that means sanding it down or painting it. Some of them now want to print the drawing much larger in segments and then install them together, either in a way that makes sense or doesn't make sense. Uh, so it's been an incredible project that I that I feel comes directly out of the fact that they are making work all the time now. So they're thinking about drawing all of the time. Oh, that's really incredible. And I mean, I, I think it's so valuable, I think, especially in foundations to really, I mean, not not sell the value of what, what you're doing in terms of their future career, but, but I think make those connections, you know, in terms of, okay, this is relevant and here's why. And this is a habit that you're going to need to implement to be successful, whether you're using a computer or, you know, your hand in a specific way. Yeah, you have to give them like those practical applications in the classroom too. Yeah, because they, they won't necessarily see it the way that we see it, you know, because we've <laughs> we've charted it out. We've sort of, you know, thought about it and, and all of that good stuff. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, it's really wonderful when it's sort of un, un, like you can see the, the realization, right, like happening in them in front of you is, uh, I think, one of the best things about teaching. It is. And you're, you're so clearly excited and passionate about it, which I really adore. Yeah. Well, so what got you interested or attracted to teaching, you know, foundations specifically and drawing? It seems like that that's something that, you know, you're you're really drawn to. I guess no, no pun intended. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I've been thinking about this one. It's a question that I hadn't really contemplated before, but I, I do come from a creative family. I, you know, my, like I would say my father would take me to piano lessons and I'd come home and ask to see the notebook so that I like knew what the, you know, he was supposed to be taking notes and what the piano teacher was telling me so that when I was practicing, I'd remember what she said, but I'd open the page and then there'd be this elaborate drawing of like me sitting there at the piano or like the, like the drawing of the studio where I was practicing, never any notes. Um, <laughs> and, and my dad wasn't, um, my dad was a professor of business, but drawing was really important to him. And my mom was always knitting, even though she'd say, you know, I, I'm not artistic. I, I'm just a knitter. <laughs> like, that is artistic, mom. But because both of my parents had careers that were stable and weren't in the arts and they felt like they were able to maintain a life, though, that was creative and passionate about the arts. And, you know, even just growing up, you know, we lived so close to the city, we'd be going to museums all the time. They, they were sort of guiding me towards a program in college that wasn't... They didn't flat out say that I couldn't go to art school, but I, I enrolled at NYU um, as a liberal arts major. And, you know, they thought like, oh, well, you can just take classes in the arts and, you know, maybe you'll become, you know, an elementary art teacher. Because I had that experience, the first semester at NYU without so much as an, um, I only had one class, oh, it was a computer art class and it wasn't a foundations class. I... I just felt so removed from myself and immediately applied to transfer into the art program full-time for spring semester. And I think because I had that experience, I really wanted to make, I wanted to allow other students to have the experience where they could say to their parents, they were going to go to an art school, they were going to study foundations, but that they wouldn't be afraid to tell their parents 
and that they would be able to say with confidence that the professors at the school or, you know, professor that they had met with was going to bring in practical applications so that when they left the program, that they knew that they would be able to get a job or have a career in the arts and that they would be able to, you know, be successful as an adult and stand on their own two feet. I think, I think that's really important to me. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's, it, it definitely is, I think, really telling that you knew immediately, like that first semester, like, nope, 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 I, I need to be doing this, you know, all the time. Yeah. And so, I mean, in terms of teaching uh, drawing, is, is that the only course that you teach is drawing or is it, do you teach painting as well or? It depends on the semester. I've taught 3D design. I've taught um, painting one, painting two. I, I pretty much taught the gamut of foundation courses. This, because it's the fall semester, you know, we sort of go in segment. Like I, I almost track with the students. So we'll do drawing one, 2D design. In, in the spring, it'll be drawing two or life drawing, or depending on where the students are, it could be painting one. And then back to the fall Next fall should, you know, might incorporate a 3D. So I usually track with a set of students and that might dictate my load. But the other class, I think I mentioned earlier that I, you know, I've become very passionate about teaching is developing creativity and imagination in the arts. I'm co-teaching the class with a close friend and colleague of mine, uh, Sarah King-Gutowski. And it's really become this passion project. We presented about it at CCAC, but it's, really influenced my studio practice too as an outcome. And and I know that happens to us as professors all the time, right? Like what we bring into the classroom, inevitably there's going to be something that we get back and we don't know what that is. But that teaching that class in particular really changed the way that I made work. So we're going to be teaching that again in the spring. So I'm very excited for the winter session because uh, Sarah and I have plans to, you know, really almost do... Um, I don't want to say like our own boot camp or our own private residency, but just to really remove ourselves from the world for two days and gear up for the class. Wow. Well, so tell me about the class. Is this a class that is strictly for art students or is this for, I mean, like would a freshman be taking this or a senior? So um, it's a humanities class, so you can take it as an elective. It is a requirement for photography majors because we taught it last Last semester, it got a little bit of a buzz, and so now we have students that are um, fine arts, graphic design, and computer arts enrolled for the spring, too. I think the beauty of the class is that, you know, that we're melding these two worlds of, so Sarah teaches creative writing and effective thinking and literature, and, you know, I teach visual arts, and we're sort of melding these media, if you will, and say, like, approaching it in such a way to the student's that's like what we're going to impart on you about developing your own creative practice or pushing your imagination is applicable to any media, whether you're a sculptor, a filmmaker, we actually have a culinary school. Um, and we were saying like, even for our pastry chefs, you know, it isn't media specific, which I think has been, you know, an important acknowledgement when we're, you know, working on the syllabus or, you know, finding resources for the students that we sort of go beyond, you know, that which we make and that which we respectively teach. Sure. I mean, that sounds like such a super fun class. Well, so, you know, in terms of like the projects or the assignments, do they sort of choose their own materials or is it sort of a combination of writing? How, how do you go about sort of thinking about that in terms of the student work or, or how, how they go about things? 
So last semester, the way that we ran it was we had these bigger, bigger themes, if you will, in a way, like found objects. For example, so like Sarah would have them respond with writing, like there'd be a writing component and they'd almost do the project as as a creative writing assignment. And then like with the same concept of working with something like a found object, then they would respond to that visually. So there were three projects like that where there was like a segment that was a writing assignment followed by the project, like the visual art project response to that theme. And then once we got, so the students said it was unlike any class which they'd ever taken before because they would have two days with her and two days with me and then two days with her and two days with me. Then we got to mid-semester and that's where we introduced the idea of obstruction as um, a creative, as creative means or inspiring creativity. And of course we showed Lars von Trier's Five Obstructions. And that's where we said to them, now you're going to go back and look at the projects you've done thus far. Um, and you're going to completely redo a project using a new media. So of course, um, round one of that was that they wanted to work in a media in which they felt comfortable, whether for some of them actually, you know, that was photography or um, making animation. But then we came back to them and we had their peers come back to them and say, you know, no, now you need to push past this media in which you're comfortable and, you know, do something completely risk taking. So, you know, thinking back to like, I remember your um, really great presentation at Fade about, you know, failure and, you know, just giving them the creative freedom to fail by taking a risk and like the round two of the obstruction. And so we had students doing performance art and, oh, sewing together, you know, whether you think of it as um, a costume or putting together, you know, because it might be a project that I do if I'm teaching 3D, like making a wearable. They were, they were thinking so far outside of the box where we felt, you know, not only were we blown away, but we were contemplating, you know, projects where we might be getting permission for them, you know, from the college to do really unique, really unique things. It was, it was amazing. <laughs> How um, incredible. I mean, so, so then is, is most of the semester where she has them writing on one days and then you're working with them in, in making, are, are you guys ever like together? You guys are together in the room at some point, right? Okay. So, Yes, pretty much we're always together in the room, actually, because the few times in the beginning of the semester, it was the first time we were teaching the class. And so, you know, she'd say, oh, it's, you know, it's my day or I'd say it's my day. And, you know, maybe we'd take that day to go grade, you know, these the projects that they've been working on. You would find that when you got back into the classroom, you might be just like if they're working on something for me that grew out of what they've been working on for her, I couldn't. I couldn't help them make that connection. Like it was harder for me to get involved in, you know, understanding the inspiration without having witnessed it. So, you know, after the first few weeks, we really were always together in the classroom. One of our ideas for the upcoming semester that we're going to talk further about is really almost, is just changing that format so that it's not, you know, two days writing, two days art, that'll be much more um, fluid. 
That's incredible. Well, so in, in terms of thinking about collaboration and, you know, kind of the whole process of you, you guys developing this course, was it, was it challenging to develop this in terms of the administration or getting a, approvals, you know? So actually, this is a class that it had been a requirement. It was one that already existed, but hadn't been taught on our campus. So our respective department chairs approached us together and said, you know, we we need to resurrect this because our photography students need it as a requirement. And they were having to travel over an hour to take the course. For both of us, with our, you know, very active studio practices and Sarah's, you know, writing practice, Creativity is something we're thinking about all the time. She and I had actually collaborated on a class that we co-taught in the past and had such a positive experience. So we sort of jumped at the opportunity um, and dove in head first and said, yeah, uh, this is something we want to take on, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But one of the things that we are thinking about, you know, just now that we've taught the course and we're going, you know, preparing to teach it again, Uh, you know, of course, when you look at anything is, you know, what can we do to make it better and stronger? And we are thinking about a way to have it count as a studio credit, because we'd love to see the students have more time. Um, The visual arts program at our school is really incredible and just values creativity so much. And we'd love to see it become even more than what it is. Oh, that's wonderful. That's really, really exciting. Yeah, I'd love to dovetail back to the other course that Sarah and I co-taught. And speaking about like administration and um, having difficulty getting off the ground because it's a topic I'm going to be presenting at um, on your panel at our upcoming CAA conference this February. I co-taught the class Gender, Body, and Identity. I I brought the visual arts component to the class, and Sarah brought the creative writing. And another friend and colleague of mine, Misty Corelli, brought in a sociological component to the course. We are a rural campus. We're about 90 minutes outside of New York City. And, oh, so maybe we taught this three years ago now, or three fall semesters ago. But it, it wasn't so much that there wasn't resources for LGBT community on our campus. It's just that the students didn't know how to access them. They were, they were quiet. They were in place, but quiet. And when you teach visual arts, I find that, uh, you know, every semester I I have students that are part of the LGBT community and they reach out to me for resources and, you know, how to help them because, you know, because I'm a strong ally and it was, it had just been so quiet and just even the conversations that would happen on our campus, there wasn't enough. And so we decided to create this class in, in one way, you know, coming from the place of when you teach about something and you educate people that inherently that creates a conversation. And so that was one way that I, like, I felt that, and Sarah and Misty also felt that we were going to be bringing more resources to the campus just by teaching the class. But in terms of administration, even though everyone was very excited for us to start this conversation on the campus, it was met with resistance because it wasn't a class that would transfer. And it was just sort of miraculous because we maxed out at students enrolled in the class and the students said, we don't care about transferability. We're going to be, whether we have to make the case to the schools we transfer to that this was a humanities elective and show them the syllabus and um, the course materials and the textbooks, this is something really important to learn. And that made me very proud of our campus community that they, that they recognize just how important it is 
you know, to appreciate the diverse community in which we live and how the differences among us are the things that make us stronger. It was, it was an incredibly powerful experience in you know, there are a few fun outcomes, such as a pop-up art show. You know, we, a stronger GSA. We were, I, I don't want, I almost don't want to give away too much because I'm excited to talk about it. Um, at the <laughs> time, but, you know, I, it's, I think it's a, a really nice example of how sometimes, you know, one small thing can, it's not that, you know, there was this instant major outcome. It's just sort of had this sort of rolling snowball effect. And, um, you know, it's something I was really proud to be a part of. I'm still a part of the, you know, the outcomes that are continuing to happen. But also, you know, as a separate outcome, you know, learning about teaching collaboratively, working with your colleagues on a, on a course and, you know, how to co-teach a course and really valuing the experience of working with such um, incredible colleagues is, is really nice things to take away from a class like that. Oh, that's so incredible. And I'm so excited to hear your paper on that at CA. That's going to be in, incredible. And um, and yeah, the session is um, on February 23rd from 2 p.m. to 3.30. Allison Yasakawa, who and I were, were co-chairing that. But yeah, it's Strategies for Inclusion, Teaching and Arts-Based Higher Education. Yeah, so, and, and FATE also has a session, um, an affiliate session at CAA, which I'll go ahead and plug that as well. It has a really cool title. It's Let's Dance, But Don't Call Me Baby, Dialogue, Empathy, and Inclusion in the Classroom. So it seems like there's there's been a lot of conversations about inclusion. It seems like that's been something that has been coming up a lot. You know, like you mentioned CCAC and, and things like that. It's like I, I just seem to be going to conferences where that's in the conference program all over the place in terms of how, how to how to address a really broad range of issues, but, but how to be sensitive and how to be open to those. I think you can't ignore it in this current political climate. I think, you know, especially, I, I know it's nationwide, but, you know, on, on my campus um, specifically, because we're on the east end of Long Island, we, my classes are, when I say diverse, they're certainly diverse in terms of race and gender identity, but also in terms of, you know, financial status, where we have these students, you know, who come from affluent and wealthy families, and then students who are, you know, really, you know, uh, some of them are living in shelters and, you know, are, are desperate to get a college education and, you know, want to be the first in, in their family to graduate from college. It's definitely something you can't ignore in the classroom. I've incorporated, so this is regardless of which class you have me, whether it's the class that's, you know, making a hundred drawings or, you know, you know, five focus drawings, but there's always a sketchbook prompt, you know, to warm us up and get us started. And one of the things that I brought into the classroom is responding to these issues, you know, putting up the headline on the, on the board and asking them to respond to it visually a few years ago, I, cre I created with um, Mr. Corelli, the sociology professor on our campus, the Verge Art Space um, as an online gallery. And we asked students on our campus to respond to issues and get them thinking about socially engaged art, whether they're responding to um, the issue of domestic violence or um, rape on campus, gender identity. Oh, the environment is another really important issue to those of us out on the East End. And, you know, letting the students respond in a way that was true to their own voice. And then we would curate these artworks and put them on the online gallery. Our campus has 
two formal spaces for exhibition, but those are booked out pretty far in advance. And we wanted the students to have a more immediate way to have their voices heard and to get their art about these issues out there. So I think one of the outcomes of having the students work on socially engaged art is that they're feeling that I'm not judging them you know, based on their opinion, that they really can just make art about something they're really passionate about or thinking about or living through and that they will be heard. And so, oh, for example, you know, the other, I don't know, maybe a few weeks back, you know, in my 2D design class, I have one of the students sharing that she's working on, you know, these plans for her ultimate she wants to, she's an interior designer and she wants to ultimately, you know, possibly go on to architecture and design her dream gun, uh, her dream ranch, which, which will have a shooting range. And, you know, she's very passionate about gun rights. And she's sitting across from a student who's working on a drawing about, um, who's transitioning themselves and working on a drawing about um, gender identity and, you know, having the freedom to um, be gender fluid and exist who you are, you know, regardless of your gender assignment at birth. And the two of them, because they're both so passionate about what they're drawing and because they're having the freedom without judgment to work on these drawings, we're having like this very happy conversation, even though their political views might be completely different, um, even though their life goals are completely different. But for that small moment in time, they were both being heard. And so I think when we're talking about how to incorporate awareness and inclusion, it's making a space for, for everybody and their, and their differences to have a voice. Absolutely. Man, that is so exciting, Meredith. Everything you're doing. I, I just want to take all your classes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. But me too of yours. I, you know, I just, fate inspires me all the time. You know, I don't, I, I think so many of my ideas, you know, come from attending the conferences and feeling so connected to, you know, the fate community where I, I think it's the same. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a community of which I'm very proud to be a part because I think that everyone puts in puts in this effort and is thinking about these things and and it's such a community itself where we're sharing these ideas with each other and um, you know no one's working in a vacuum so I'm very appreciative for fate. It is. I, I feel absolutely the same way. It just feels like such a privilege to know so many folks that are are just really in it, you know, and they're really authentic and they're really phenomenal and inspiring for sure. Yeah. Well, man, Meredith, thank you so much for, for joining us and, and sharing your time. And we just really appreciate it. Oh, thank, thank you for having me and the feedback. And, and it's been a privilege and a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Positive Space. If you're interested in being part of FATE's ongoing conversation about art foundations, visit the FATE website at foundationsart.org. Don't forget the dash between foundations and art. This episode's interview was conducted by Valerie Powell and was engineered and edited by Raymond Gaddy. Our theme music was provided by Lee Rosevere. If you like what you hear on Positive Space, be sure to give us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you find your podcast. Better yet, send us some audio. You can call Positive Space at 904-990-FATE. That's 904-990-3283. You may find your voice on the next episode of Positive Space.